What is happening guys? Welcome to episode 23 of the Triage Method podcast. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about some bodybuilding contest prep related stuff because the RIBBF Spring Classic is on today in Waterford. So best of luck to our boy Ross and anyone else that is competing or has competed by the time you listen to this. Um, so Paddy, how are you this week? I am absolutely fantastic. It is beautifully sunny out. I'm tanned as fuck at the moment because I've been tanning all day, doing some work at the back garden, also wash my car. So pretty fucking tanned at the moment. And obviously everyone's in a happy mood because the sun is out. Um, and it has been out all week. But like you said, there is this bodybuilding. I'm not really sure what, what that is. Uh, like I know we're a health company, so like I'm not really sure how this applies to our discussion, but I suppose like we have actually trained some bodybuilding, well, actually men's physique and bikini. Let's not say bodybuilding because we actually haven't trained bodybuilders. Have you trained any bodybuilders? No, not, not bodybuilding, no, men's physique. <clears throat> yeah, just to make that distinction because people often do kind of go, oh, well, men's physique isn't real bodybuilding and bikini isn't real bodybuilding. So, yeah, cool. We haven't trained any bodybuilders. Um, but, yeah, like there's a few things that we're going to discuss today that you do often see in both the, the preparation of bodybuilders, physique, athletes, um, whatever you want to call them, and both in the preparation to get them to the show level, and then also the week of the show, the day of the show. But more importantly, what we're going to talk about, well, I presume, a little bit more, is that post-competition stuff. You know, So, Gary, you've trained body, well, you've trained physique people. What are... Or what do you see? Because obviously you have social media. Obviously, we talk to people in this whole fitness industry. What are you seeing in the way people approach their their diet, their training in the lead up to a show? What are you seeing? Okay. Yeah. So in the lead up to the show, I think, I think like the bodybuilding culture leads one to kind of be attracted to anything that makes you suffer more. So you often tend to see the approaches that are really restricted and old school. You know, they still prevail a lot in the in the Irish bodybuilding community for sure. And what that tends to look like is very, you know, restricted diets in terms of like not just actual calories and macronutrients, but also food choices. So you'll see a lot of people that have been maybe for the last 12 to 16 weeks or even longer, they've been on a meal plan that had pretty much the same foods. So maybe they started off and their food choices were they had steak and they had chicken for the protein sources, maybe eggs if they were lucky. You know, they had white rice and sweet potato for their carbohydrate sources. And then they had like broccoli for their vegetables. And that was pretty much it. And the, then as they move through their, their dieting phase, all that really changes is the actual quantities of those foods. And slowly but surely, the carbohydrates get reduced until people are pretty much only eating white meat and, and vegetables. And that tends to be like, I know that in the online community, community, a lot of people will say, oh, that's the way things used to be. But that certainly prevails in the Irish bodybuilding community because there are a lot of people within the Irish bodybuilding circle that would still be very old school in their thought process. And, and hence, those ideas still kind of float around. Um, so that in and of itself, you know, just having that very restricted meal plan, you know, no real choices, that, that approach can be kind of toxic in and of itself before you even look at 
like calorie and macronutrient quantities because what that does is essentially just block you out from all of the normal foods that are normally integrated into your life for a certain amount of weeks and then when it does come to the point where your show is over and that goal has been removed and the meal plan is kind of gone then you're pretty much in this free-for-all point where you want to consume all of the foods that you haven't consumed for the last 12 weeks and, and suddenly you're free and you're doing all this all this stuff so i think a more helpful way to approach contest prep that that i've seen a lot more people do in the last couple of years is the more kind of flexible approach you know so being a little bit more flexible with your diet and consuming foods that you actually enjoy maybe not being stuck to a rigid meal meal plan meal timing structure where you have to eat six meals a day so where there is a little bit more flexibility and that's a kind of a nice way to have it but also that goes to the other side of things so people always give out about the bro approach where it's just uh clean eating that that's a bad thing but i think it can go to the other side of things as well where people approach their contest prep and all they look at is calories and macronutrients and as a result they just kind of eat crappy foods and and just approach it that way and you know they they save up all their calories for one meal so they can kind of binge on on like pop tarts or whatever it is and like that's that's kind of a poor practice as well um so yeah it's 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 there's not like the, there is a happy medium and a lot of people strike it, but there's definitely still the extremes there. Um, and then uh, like we said, the 12 to 16 week timeline there, I think a big problem is that people don't give themselves enough time to actually prep. Okay. Because realistically, a lot of people would probably be better served by like at least a 20 to 24 week prep, if not longer. Like if you look at any like natural bodybuilder, that is at a high level, they will prepare for at least that time to get down to the actual level of body fat that is required. Because what a lot of people do is they start a little bit too fat for their timeline, then they have to really suffer regardless of their actual dietary approach. So they have to really restrict calories, really restrict their macronutrients. And then as a result, the whole prep is just a negative experience. So they get to this point where they're doing like, 12 hours of cardio a week along with six weight training sessions and they're on barely any calories and they're starving and then that then feeds into the poor practices post show which we will be talking about after this so that's kind of the nutrition side of things and then in terms just of before, training like get some of the, the training side of things like that don't we shouldn't just gloss over say like oh yeah people should die for longer because people are going to go and look at that and go oh well yeah cool i can get down with that don't mind dieting for longer but it you have to set it up like very well and you have to be thinking longer term, like doing a contest prep and doing or preparing for a show at all, like should be something you're thinking about beforehand. It shouldn't just be a spur of the moment thing. And I'm sure, yeah, obviously people are going to go like, well, I did one spur of the moment. And it's like, yeah, but you're the genetic outlier. Like you walk around at 6% body fat and it took you two weeks to prep for your show. Like you're not the person, like the average person we're talking to. But what I mean to say by that is, the, the majority of people will essentially be on this, this dreamer bull because they'll have an idea in, we'll say the, the, the spring shows now. People will have got an idea at around September or something and gone, you know, fuck it, I'm going to do a show, right? I'm, I'm fucking doing it. I've been trained for a number of years and I just want to do a show, right? So they'll be like, right, so that gives me, we'll say six months to prep for my show. It actually gives you longer, but we'll just say six to eight months to prep for your show, right? So they go on this huge dreamer bulk 
because they're like, yeah, I need to gain some size. I need to fucking get bigger if I'm going to be competitive on stage. And okay, cool. That may be true. You may need to have more muscle to be competitive on stage. Like you might have a lot of muscle, but you may be like, look, I actually need to focus on, I don't know, maybe your shoulders aren't up to scratch or where you'd like them to be, whatever it is. Maybe you do need to add some size. Cool. We can get down with that. But what people do is they literally go and bulk and they'll be in like quite a caloric surplus, like a, a bigger one than we generally recommend because they're like, oh, well, I only have a short amount of time. So I really need to maximize everything. And I'd rather be overfeeding than just kind of playing this maybe I'm gaining, maybe I'm not kind of uh, calorie level, you know? So then they get to the, the end of their bulk and they're like, yeah, now it's time to start cutting. And they go from the peak of their bulk. So at the end of it, where they have accumulated the most amount of tissue, they've accumulated possibly the most amount of uh, volume that they've done. Like they've, they've worked up to bigger volumes. They've accumulated quite a amount of fatigue as well because they've been training hard for X amount of weeks, X amount of months, and they're, they're at the peak of it. And then they just go in, oh shit, like I actually do have quite a bit of body fat to lose. Maybe they, as a male, they get up to like 20, 22%, which wouldn't be unheard of and can be easily underestimated. Like you might think, oh yeah, I'm only at 16% body fat when realistically you're at 20, 22% body fat, you know? And that's where most people will start. But just, just think of this in a, a logical thing or a logical kind of framework. If you have literally had that tissue for a wet week, you know, you've you've literally gained that muscle, gained that strength for a week. You're you're up to that end of your bulk and you're literally, yes, I've gained all this muscle. Like as soon as you go back down, like you have never maintained that muscle. You've never held on to that muscle for a long period of time. So you've only just just got gotten used to it. You know, so then you're telling you're sending your, this signal to your body where it's like, yeah, we're actually going to diet now for an aggre- like aggressively diet as well for 20 weeks, 16 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is. And you have to lose whatever it is, 10, 12 percent body fat, even more in most instances. And you, you think you're going to keep all of that muscle. So essentially, all you did was spend four months, six months, whatever it is, gaining muscle and then losing it all because you have to diet so aggressively to get lean. Whereas a better approach would have been to perhaps go slower in your, your bulking and hold on to that muscle for longer, like have a, a maintenance phase before you actually change, transition into a dieting phase, you know? Yeah, and I think you you mentioned the phases there as well. I think that's something a lot of people fail to implement within their contest prep, again, because of the kind of whole timeline thing. Like it is very, it is quite difficult for people to kind of, you know, say, all right, I actually do have a lot of fat to lose. And now I've got to lose it all in whatever 16 to 20 weeks. And I'm just going to do it all in one go. Like something that tends to work quite well and that I've used with clients is the diet, the kind of diet break approach so that you actually give yourself far more time than you think you're going to need so that you can implement a couple of kind of one to two week diet breaks within that period where you were eating at maintenance or even slightly above. Because like, classically in the, in bodybuilding contest prep practices what people will do is they'll have like refeeds and they'll do these weekly refeeds where they're looking to kind of offset or reverse metabolic adaptations like with leptin or whatever you're actually referring to they'll do that but the 24-hour refeed just simply isn't enough to have a potent effect on those systems so all they really end up doing is kind of 
getting through the week, you know, get, making some good progress, and then slightly undoing that progress with the refeed or cheat meal every week. Meaning that as they move along, then the refeed or the cheat meal can almost be holding you back because you're constantly have to eat lower calories throughout the week versus what you could eat if you were to keep it consistent throughout the week. So I think the diet break approach is a nice way of trying to omit those kind of metabolic adaptations a little bit so let's say you are kind of being somewhat consistent with your calories throughout the week and you do that for four weeks you make great progress but you feel that maybe you're a little bit more sluggish or you've you're, you're not sweating as much you're not as you're not as warm maybe your sleep is a bit poor you're getting some of these symptoms of, of diet fatigue as people say then what you can do is take that week at maintenance um, with higher carbohydrate intake and then use that to kind of offset some of those adaptations while maybe getting some of your recovery capacity back as well. Maybe that's the week that you take uh, a deload or you pull, you pull your volume back a little bit and that's where you, re you reduce some of that fatigue and recover a bit. So that then you're kind of like, you know, at the end of that week, you're like, all right, I can keep going now. Because it's not just about physiology. Like that's not what refeeds or offsetting metabolic adaptation is about you need to reset the psychology because contest prep is incredibly psychologically psychologically demanding you are starving yourself in a controlled way for a long period of time to get to a level of body fat that the human body doesn't really like going to and in the modern food environment that is a very difficult thing to do because you are essentially going against what every food company every restaurant wants you to do so you've got all these signals and cues around you in your environment to eat and you've also got a body that is kind of going into this place where it's also giving you all the cues to eat and that's hard psychologically so giving yourself that week or the two weeks depending on how long you've actually given yourself in your contest prep can definitely be beneficial not just for the prep itself but for the actual time after because you have practiced already not being in that extreme deficit so if you're if you just treat your post contest period then as like oh it's another one of these diet breaks that we're just extending you're already used to it and it's not something you're as likely to lose control over yeah it should be mentioned as well like you said it's mainly affecting psychology like yes like i agree with you but also i don't want people to lose sight of the fact that it is also affecting physiology like you're not saying it it doesn't know yeah. physiological uh, benefits even like i can even argue like weekly refeeds have some physiological benefits likely not the ones yeah. that people are hammering on about with leptin and all that kind of jazz so i suppose to make this 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 podcast a little bit more coherent uh we should just mention all of the things that you commonly see people do that are potentially wrong on the diet side of things then we will mention the things that we feel and I feel the research feels, would be better to set things up. So if you look at social media and you look at how the majority of people are dieting, there's a few common kind of trends, there's a few common kind of strategies you will see. You will see people that follow the meal plan, like you said. They, they allow no variety in their diet and they're very strict with everything they do they're on chicken rice broccoli diet you know like you said now obviously we're not going to say that that doesn't work because quite frankly it does like it, at the end of the day it is calories in calories out so if you're not eating as many calories as you need to sustain your body body weight you are going to lose body weight you know it's as simple as that now this is one of the things that is a little bit annoying 
for, with the, the bodybuilding community, they do tend to favor side effects rather than effects. And this goes down all the way down to their drug use and everything. Like they, they, they won't choose even the best drug for the job. They'll choose the drug that gives them the side effects or gives them the most side effects so they can feel like they're on a drug. Like there, there may be better drugs for them to use like more anabolic drugs and less androgenic drugs because at the end of the day, it's muscle building that they want. But they like that feeling of, you know, androgenicity and it's like, oh, I feel really fucking angry and pissed off in the world and fucking whatever, even though it's it's not actually helping. Well, it is to an extent helping their, their bodybuilding, but it's not actually helping their muscle building. So the, even down to their drug use, they will favor side effects. But that goes as well with their diet. Like bodybuilders traditionally, they want to feel like they're on a diet. They want to suffer. They want to be a week into a diet feeling hungry as fuck. Like they, they want that nip of hunger, like to be present at all times. They want to feel that almost Spartan like existence where it's like, yeah, I'm fucking overcoming this hunger. I'm a fucking machine. I'm an animal. You know, like they, they, they want to feel that. And unfortunately like that approach does work and it clearly works. Like you, you can't get, you can't deny the, the benefits you see with these athletes, uh, especially well, I'm going to say, especially the ones that are on drugs, because like it, it, the, the reason people take drugs is to offset all the metabolic stuff and hormonal stuff that's going to occur if you try to diet like that as a, a natural trainee, right? And this is unfortunately what you generally see then. You will see natural people try to engage in the same dieting practices that someone that is enhanced does. And I don't even mean just competitors, but you will also see just general population people trying to follow the same diets, you know, very low carb diets, even though their, their training is glycolytic to some extent, like especially if you're doing like higher volume training and cardio on top of that, you know, and they, they'll try to do these low carb diets. They'll try to do these like zero fat diets. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like obviously this works for a competitor because they're on a shitload of drugs. So their thyroid is not going to be as effective because they're on T3. So it doesn't matter. You know, they, they're not seeing these huge drop downs of uh, like the the endocrine system as a whole, as a whole, like you look at like natural trainees at the end of the contest prep, and you see their like testosterone it's fucking tanked. Whereas <laughs> you look at like a, a body a bodybuilder who is enhanced, it's like I, just coming up to a show like well, we'll say the week before because generally they do arguably some stupid stuff the week before, um, but like generally they'll drop their doses and stuff. But if you look at them the week before their their competition they're at their highest uh, anabolic levels because they're on so many drugs, you know? So it's like, it's completely counter to the environment a natural person is going to be in, you know? So you, you do often see that, that, that kind of disconnect between the practices that um, enhanced bodybuilders are using or enhanced physique athletes are using and then it natural or even gen pop people are using, you know? So you, you, it does bear mentioning that some of the things are being done because it's an enhanced population that is doing it. And also they don't get the detrimental side effects of that, those dieting practices because they're supplementing those diet, those uh, deficiencies, we'll call them away, you know? Um, so that, that does bear mentioning. And it also bears mentioning that traditionally bodybuilders like to fucking suffer. They, they want to feel like you have to be somewhat sadistic to engage in a really, really fucking restrictive diet to parade around in like a thong on stage like you have to be somewhat sadistic to want to do that like you basically get yourself to like starvation levels of body fat for for what like a plastic trophy 
You know, like you, you do have to be somewhat sadistic to both enjoy the training to get you there and then to enjoy the process to get you there, you know. So that does, that does bear mentioning. So you will see a lot of the dietary practices that are really, really overly restrictive, not even just in the food choices they implement, but also the level of calories that like people will be in these like 1000 calorie deficits. And then they, they try to add cardio on top of that, you know. And if you try to do that and you're a natural trainee, the wheels are going to fall off the wagon, you know. But that's that, that would be the main one you kind of see with people dieting. And generally, that will also be a case of people starting at too high a body fat. So they look in the mirror and they go, Jesus Christ, I got pretty out of shape in that off season. Now I have 12 weeks to get in shape for a show. So straight away out, the, out of the bat or out of the door, they jump on all the drugs. They increase their doses of everything. All kind of fat burners come in, all kind of metabolic upregulators come in and boom, fat loss starts going rocketing along thing. And then they have really, really, really restricted diets. And then they generally up their training volume, which we'll, we'll kind of get to in a second, I presume. And all of these things is like, yeah, cool. You can do that because you are enhanced. That does not mean it is the most optimal way to set things up. So you will see people having really, really restrictive diets too soon. You know, that would be the main one you see. But again, that's that tends to be because they're not dieting for long enough. Like they're trying to lose... 20 kilos in 12 weeks, which obviously can be done, but it's not the most optimal thing to do. You will also see people focusing too much on, I'm going to say timing of food. Like they're like, oh no, I have to eat my six meals per day. And their entire like day becomes revolved around just eating out of like Tupperware. And it's like, yeah, cool. Like I understand you do have to be somewhat like you're, you're trying to do well in a competition, a sporting endeavor. You, you are going to have to change your lifestyle to some extent but people become very very beholden to that and they end up making things harder than they need to be like they make life harder than it needs to be they're like oh no i couldn't go out for the day and enjoy the sun out there and uh, because you know i have a meal at 2 p.m sorry you know like uh rather than like changing their, their, their meal schedule around so people do get overly i don't know what you want to call it like restrictive in terms of their ability to get off track from plan but still be on track if that makes sense like they, they can't eat out like uh, they, they're beholden to certain foods that they have to eat uh, and that's the way it is like they, they can't eat I don't know they, they, they couldn't eat out you know and then like you alluded to Gary you have the other end of the thing where people are too flexible in their approach and they, they're trying to eat out every single day while trying to estimate the calories that they're, they're eating. Because they're like, oh, well, my fitness pal says this. And it's like, yeah, cool. No one cares what my fitness pal says if your physique isn't saying it. You know, if, if your body's not showing you the rate of fat loss that you need or, or whatever it is, you know? So like, yeah, my fitness pal is definitely a great tool. And like, I use it. I know our clients use it. I know you use it as well, Gary. But it does not mean that my fitness pal trumps your actual body, you know? So like you, you can go both ways on that being overly restrictive in your food choices and then being overly unrestricted in your food choices. So they, they would generally be the, the ones that you commonly see with dieting practices, either being too aggressive with your diet. And again, that's kind of with the, the whole setup type of thing where you're not giving yourself long enough because you have 20 kilos to lose in 12 weeks because you let yourself get out of shape that much, you know? Um, and then also being too restrictive or too unrestrictive in your food choices. You know, they, they would be the main kind of ones you see in the, the bodybuilding population. Is there any other dieting practices that you see, Gary, that ideally we would think, or we would think wouldn't be ideal? Um, 
I'm not going to say this is 100% wrong because I think you can argue its place for sure. But I think a lot of people, they definitely overemphasize the whole carbohydrate cycling thing. Like I think a lot of people do this whole, like my calories need to be this on training days and they need to be this on rest days or I need to have, you know, high, medium, low, like zero even sometimes carb days. I need to do this because, you know, it's all based on this this kind of theory that people come up with it that oh if i if i'm doing more training i'll just burn my carbohydrates and then i'll burn more fat on my low carb days so i'm going to lose more fat when like an actual fact like even in the case of contest prep it still is about your energy balance across the week like that's still what you're looking at it's still the calories in calories out thing now that like that's i i'm saying that and the reason i say that is because I say it loosely because some people love the carbohydrate cycling thing. Some people find that they just need the food on their training days more than they do their their rest days. And in that case, I'm like, that's fine. If you feel that you get a psychological or physiological boost by having more food on training days and less on rest days, then that is cool completely. Like that can help your performance. Absolutely. But I think a lot of people do it with it. And to add to that, like people, some people do like having different, days like they're not eating the exact same thing every single day where it's like oh well this day i have higher carb choices but the next day i'm going to have higher fat sources so i can choose different foods like oh i can't have avocados on training days but on my off days i fucking love avocados you know that kind of thing so like there is obviously a psychological benefit to it just in terms of breaking up the monotony anyway go on yeah yeah and i do think that's helpful because i actually do think the food variety thing is important and if that's the only way that food variety comes into a, a restricted meal plan i'm i'm all for it i'm like i'm all for food variety uh, but I, I think like the big thing that we're obviously about is education and i think it's if if the reason that you're doing like a carbohydrate cycling approach is because one it enhances your adherence two you feel it enhances your performance or three you like the food variety i'm like that's cool because you understand the reason that you're doing it what i don't want is people to do these things thinking that you need to do this to optimize your fat loss. You ne- it's going to help me lose way more fat. Um, you can't just eat the same calories every day. I don't want that because I feel that people should understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing because that actually empowers you in the future because otherwise you become tied to that one coach that you always go to because his methods you like. You know. Whereas what you should be looking at is if you've been coached by someone and you like that method, then you ask yourself, what's the principle behind this and why do I actually like it? Because there, you can justify everything once there's actually a truthful reason behind it. But very often, people do things that might work, but then give the wrong reason for why they work. You know, and that's very much the case in the case of the whole carb cycling thing. Um, with, with that, the, the, the carb cycling as well, that kind of does feed into calorie cycling as well. So they're kind of two two yeah. sides of the same coin. Where you may be going, okay, my my ratios or whatever stay roughly the same, but I'm changing the calorie level on each day, like, oh, leg day has to have higher calories or back day or whatever muscle group you're trying to prioritize or bring up, whatever. And again, like you can make physiological arguments for that, but maybe it's also not the best in terms of the way actual people people actually set it up. Like they're like, oh, well, leg day obviously needs more more calories to recover from it. And, you know, I'm, I'm training legs hard and it's like, yeah, but okay, you, you train at 9 a.m., so would having higher calories the day before actually allow you 
train legs heavier and for longer because you got fully topped up glycogen stores, you know? So like there, there does become that kind of implementation side of things where people aren't really thinking through the actual benefits and then therefore they're implementing it wrong. But again, that's a, that's kind of a little bit of an aside, but yeah, with the, with the calorie cycling thing as well, you will see this as well, where people are very restrictive, like you mentioned earlier on, uh, Monday to Friday. And then they're like, Oh yeah, cool. Now it's, it's cheat meals and cheat days and stuff. And like, yeah, okay, cool. You can get, away with that to some extent especially if you're very restrictive but at some time at some stage that's going to become the limiting factor like you're you're taking in too many calories on the on the saturday cheat meal than you are actually burning throughout the whole week and you would actually be better served having higher calories throughout the whole week because you'll be able to train harder and heavier and recover better you know so i'd rather see those calories spread out rather than having this one big cheat meal and then this again like you mentioned earlier on people going like yeah refeeds that's that's the thing that you know fucking makes me fucking great and then you're like okay what are you using for refeed and they're like oh i go to five guys and i fucking get a big fat greasy burger and it's like and literally that makes no sense because it's carbohydrates that are going to give you the benefit of if of any of the macronutrients in terms of the actual leptin stuff and you know the, the refeeding stuff if, if it is you can argue although i would argue against you if you're saying like oh yeah today that's all i need to kind of boost my leptin up etc um it's like you're, you're choosing the worst options in terms of food selection to actually get that benefit like you're choosing this really high fat food because that's generally what people kind of gravitate towards where it's like oh yeah i got, got burgers and fucking pizza or whatever it is you know it's like this you're getting no no benefit from this and like yes you are obviously getting some benefit from it in terms of the psychological stuff and you are also getting you know an influx of calories which is obviously going to make your training the next two three days better maybe more sodium and you've been on a very sodium restricted diet so you're like oh my fucking pumps are unreal and yeah you know so there are like physiological things but it's not actually making your diet better in terms of you could have actually had those calories spread out throughout the whole week and not have to suffer as much but again it goes back to bodybuilders like to fucking suffer you know and then also we're, we're basing it on uh, well we're not basing it on but a lot of people are basing it on things that enhanced people are doing so it's like yeah of course you need that refeed when you're feeling really really flat and you're like what well, like as a natural person you're like what do you mean when you're feeling really, really flat? It's like, well, that's what you fucking feel like the entire time when you're natural. But you see these enhanced people, they're used to this like 24-7 pump. Um, but now that they're on all these drugs like, like T3 and stuff, it's like, yeah, cool. Now your, your carbohydrates and your glycogen is down fucking really low because you're burning through it because you're on all, all of these like, quote unquote, fat burning drugs. And of course you feel flat now because you're, you're not eating enough and you're not getting as big of this 24-7 pump as you were. So obviously you're going to feel like, yeah, I need to fucking refeed. But it's like, yeah, these are all side effects of the drugs you're taking. So like, it's not, it's not that you need a refeed. It's that you're, you're dieting too aggressively and you're feeling the effects of it more because you're, you're on these drugs that are somewhat accelerating some of the, the side effects of that. So it becomes this like real, like, oh, I'm balancing my uppers and my downers. You know, it's like, fuck, like you need to, like you need to understand what's actually happening, the, the stuff that you're taking in your body, the physiological effect of that, you know? Uh, and again, unfortunately, that, that goes into the the unenhanced world or the natural world where it's like, oh, well, I need to have these big refeeds. Like, I saw this fucking juicy bodybuilder having this. He's like, oh, I'm feeling flat, so I had fucking 20 pancakes. And it's like, okay, well, like, you're, you don't need that. Like, he's on fucking insulin. That's what he meant when he said he was flat. He was fucking going hypo, because, <laughs> you know? And um, so there are all these things that you're like, unfortunately the two worlds are diverged or are mixed, not diverged, 
Um, so you, you get this crossover. It's like, oh man, like this, this is not optimal for you as an individual because it's not the same population, you know? So that whole calorie thing as well, where people are having different calorie days, it's like, yes, I can understand why that would work. And like, I'm not arguing that it's a bad approach in terms of like, if you, you only have the capacity to train three days per week, you know, and you're like, oh, well, I actually, I find I'm starving on those days and you want to increase calories on those days, but don't mind decreasing calories on your other days. Cool. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. If that actually helps your adherence and your overall uh, fat loss trajectory or whatever it is, you know, it's like, it's cool. We can, you can make valid arguments for any of these approaches. What I'm saying is the majority of the people, these approaches aren't actually applicable to yeah and i think another thing another thing to add to that as well that you often see in in coaching practices is like people get to the end of the week and they're like oh i really needed my cheat meal this week uh coach agreed you know sent him pics and then i looked or sent him pics he responded straight away and said um mate you know you need a ben and jerry's and a burger and chips and it's like it's like what you know and you see that happen so often because like and if you think about how that plays out in context let's say you do overfeed by 3000 calories all right you do that one day because it was the just cheat meal it was your refeed it was whatever to prevent you feeling flat and to offset some of the the, the, ne- the negatives that you've kind of felt that week so think about that 3000 calories right let's say you were dieting on 2000 calories for the other six days if you overfeed by 3000 then let's just let's just call call that you know an extra 500 calories each day Okay. It won't be exactly that in terms of, you know, metabolism, etc. But if that's an extra 500 calories that you could have taken in throughout the week, you then have to ask yourself, right, would I actually have experienced all of these negative side effects in terms of poor training quality, feeling flatter, feeling more hunger, etc.? Had I eaten the extra 500 calories? Had I, had I eaten the extra 125 grams of carbohydrate per day for those six days? Could I have potentially offset the side effects that made me feel like I needed this additional cheat meal because people don't think of it like that. All they think of is I felt this, so I needed this, but then they don't put it in the lens of the whole week. And like, maybe some people do prefer to suffer more throughout the week for the six days to, to kind of earn that day of indulging. But what you also have to think about is that when you are preparing for a competition, your goal is to retain your muscle mass. So your goal is to be able to go into the gym and to perform well, to stimulate, you know, muscle gain or muscle retention at least and and the maintenance of your strength. That's your goal when you go to the gym. So if you were able to use those extra calories throughout the week, as opposed to you being fatigued every day because of not having them, then at least you have more of a chance of having the energy in the gym to be able to optimize your performance and give yourself a better chance of retaining your muscle and your strength. But that, that, and that's kind of what's going to take us on to our next discussion is like people don't actually focus on performance. All they focus on is one, getting a pump and two, getting uh, burning calories from the training. That's all they think about during a contest prep and they, they lose the forest for the trees. So again, they're looking at the side effects of the training as opposed to solely the effects that they're actually looking for. So when you go into the gym in a contest prep, your goal is is not solely to get a pump. It's not solely to burn burn calories or sweat or feel like you're working hard. It's to provide the stimulus, the right stimulus, not too much, not too little, to gain or maintain your muscle mass, which is often coming through you trying to actually maintain your strength. And a lot of people, what they do is 
because they're they, like they're entering a contest prep and they feel like they're doing something new rather than just keeping their training stable for a while and seeing and seeing where things go they immediately start to do more so they start to do more training more volume more days per week more sets because it's it's all seen as oh but i'm preparing for a competition i need to do more when in fact what you actually have to think about is that you've just started this controlled starvation so you've just started putting yourself in this calorie deficit that is inherently car- catabolic like that is obviously the goal so if you have that more catabolic environment then why would you then be looking to straight away do far more training when you haven't given yourself something that allows you to recover from more training so it just doesn't really make sense the way people kind of approach it and it tends to keep increasing throughout the the actual contest prep to the point where people will be doing two a day training sessions at the end of their contest prep like six days a week along with all of this cardio and and like you have to be willing to differentiate between what you're doing to increase your energy expenditure or reduce your energy expenditure and what you're doing to keep your muscle around because they're not the same thing and people tend to treat their weight training as if it's a calorie burning tool during a deficit when that's not really the goal the goal is to to stimulate the hypertrophy pathways like you're still looking to get hypertrophy even though you may not have the the building blocks to actually get there but at least you're maintaining it you're maintaining your muscle mass so Paddy just went for a pee. Paddy, to introduce you, I'm just talking a little bit about training now. <laughs> what are your thoughts on some training practices that you think are good or bad? Like, what would your overall comments be on how people tend to approach contest prep and training? Yeah, you kind of cut out there, but I get the gist of what you were saying. Yeah, so like you will see this a lot where people, as soon as they go onto this diet for their, they're like, oh, my contest is in. 12 20 weeks whatever it is and they're like yeah right, i need to do more now which i'm not i'm definitely not going to argue against in terms of like yes it is a sporting endeavor so you are going to be training your hardest we'll say but again this is goes back to the whole planning aspect of things where people haven't actually set a plan in motion at the the required time point out from it like they haven't spent two years growing and if they have spent those two years growing like what makes you think now that your your calories are reduced, you're going to be able to adapt more to certain stimuluses or stimuli. Um, you know, so people will start bringing in crazy drop sets or supersets, and they'll be doing all these super high volume work when it's like you your bread and butter up to this point was the six to eight rep range. You know, you've been you've been getting stronger in that rep range predominantly. Like, yeah, you've done some higher rep work got a nice pump here and there, you know, um, maybe you've gone up as, as far as 12 reps and it's all been straight sets up until then. And now you're like, oh, competition comes around. So it's time to bring in these crazy drop sets. It's time to bring in these supersets. And I was doing one leg session a week. Now I'm doing two because I need to bring them up. You should have had that mindset, you know, two years out rather than eight weeks out but okay whatever we're here now and they they start doing that kind of stuff where it's like you're you're putting in more effort in the gym which yeah cool it's definitely required because you have a competition coming up but you're doing all this thing because you're associating the the sweating in the gym the the amount of work you're doing in the gym with calorie burning and that's your sole focus rather than your sole focus being keeping your strength as high as possible keeping your your muscles as strong as possible throughout the entirety of prep like hoping to actually progress through prep not just 
maintain. Like I like to look at it as like you're trying to gain tame. Like you, your, your, your minimum goal is to maintain, but if you can gain while you're doing that, happy day. It's like you should be losing no muscle while prepping. Now, obviously, especially as a natural trainee, that may not happen. Like you may lose much valuable uh, lean tissue when you diet down. Like especially if you've gotten yourself very, very out of shape and you're then in this aggressive calorie deficit, you know? So like, it's definitely more likely to occur then, but let's say you do have your diet on point. You have everything on point. Like your, your goal should be to maintain as much muscle as possible coming into that show, you know? So that's generally what you see on the training side of things in terms of resistance training. People just start equating all oh, more volume, more calories burnt, you know? So they'll either do extra sessions or they'll do extra volume in those workouts. Like, drop sets, supersets, they'll start bringing in rest pauses and all this kind of stuff. You're like, okay, cool, like that That would have helped you build muscle potentially uh, when you were in a caloric surplus, but now that you're in this more extreme deficit, like you're not able to adapt to that training. And those little niggles you're picking up now, As you, first of all, your strength drops because you were, say you were using, I don't know, on the incline dumbbell bench, you were using 50 kilos and you were doing that for six to eight reps, you know, and... Um, now you're like, oh, well, I need to be doing 12s and I'm going to start bringing in tempo and I'm going to start supersetting them with uh, incline dumbbell flies because it gives me a fucking shit-ass pump. You know, it's fucking awesome. Like, um, you're like, oh, right, cool. Like, I can definitely get down with this potentially at certain time points in your training cycle, etc. But you're like, that's my my entire training cycle now. I'm doing 12 reps, real slow control tempo. And you end up using like 12 kilo for your incline dumbbell bench press, whereas you were using 50, you know? So it's like, the, the mechanical stress on that muscle isn't, well, potentially isn't enough to actually keep that muscle around. Well, yes, you may be getting this fucking awesome pump, even though you're on low calories, etc. You're like, yeah, man, I've never felt such a good pump. Again, it's because you're you're more insulin sensitive now, etc. Because you're dieting, you know, your lower body fat, so you can actually see the muscles working more. So you're standing up in between your sets, looking in the mirror, going, "Oh fuck, I'm juicy, bro." You know, so I, I can understand why people do that, but it's not what's going to like what built the muscle is what's going to help keep the muscle around. So your training shouldn't necessarily change. You know, and you will see that where people start, do, they were doing four days per week in the off season or before they started prepping and now they're up to six days per week, you know, and on top of that, they're like, oh yeah, I'm doing 200 calories of cardio after each session, or they're doing cardio in the morning, fasted cardio, which like I can argue for and I can argue against, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be the person that says fasted cardio is useless because I actually do think some of the physiological stuff potentially we could argue that it is beneficial but i think that a lot of the stuff is actually psychological with it in terms of it actually sets up your day in a good way like with health in mind like you do cardio in the morning so you're like okay cool i've already ticked off one of the things i need to do to actually succeed today so you're already getting your day started with the the goal in mind you're not doing all like oh i fucking i slept in today and i'm doing this you know like you, you actually have yourself on track you're actually adhering to some sort of schedule then you know so i definitely think it has potentially a place for some people um but people just bring it in go yeah boom fucking an hour of fasted cardio they're not tracking the calories of that they're just doing an hour which is pretty fucking ass backwards because you know as you get further into your contest prep like your energy levels are going to be lower so you're going to be putting less effort into those cardio sessions so now you're actually burning less calories not on top of the fact that you're lighter so you're already burning less calories because you're not you know the 
the, the, the metabolic effect of moving your body is easier or less calorie demanding because you are lighter. Um, so you will see that as well where people are just not tracking calories with their with their cardio they're just going yeah i'm going for 20 minutes or i'm going for an hour and it's like this you're kind of missing the forest for the trees you're using this as a method to reduce your calories and then you're just ignoring the fact that you can actually track the amount of calories that you burn doing that you know so it is pretty ass backwards and in terms of just going for a set time but yeah people start doing all this like crazy extra volume when their bodies aren't in a position to actually recover from that volume you know and they wonder why six weeks into their diet the wheels are really starting to fall off the wagon and they're like oh like i just don't want to go to the gym i fucking feel like shit and you know blah 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 and then that's when fucking coach goes yeah man you need a refeed you know and that works for three days because you've you've topped up glycogen stores and you're like yeah actually fucking that refeed was great because you know i got to eat some pizza i got to feel like a normal human again and you know I feel great. I feel ready to go because you've like brought down some of that accumulated fatigue with extra calories. And it's like, man, like you, you wouldn't have had to feel any of those things if things were set up more optimally, you know? So the training side of things, the main thing you generally tend to see people doing is reducing the intensity. Like they, they think all of a sudden, oh, the lower rep stuff I have been doing, that's out the window, automatically switches to higher rep stuff. And then they start bringing in way more volume than they've been able to handle previously while also reducing their calories so that they don't, they aren't actually able to adapt to that training stimulus. And then on top of that, they're bringing in extra cardiovascular work, which is also burning through calories, thus reducing their ability to adapt to the training stimulus itself. Yeah. And I think the other thing about, about contest prep and training as well is that I think variation in exercise you tend to see a lot more because what people what people tend to do is they'll go to the gym one day and they'll feel really weak on one exercise so they'll be like oh shit I, I better change exercise because i've hit a plateau or it doesn't feel as good or it's my leverages or whatever and then they just change the exercise and suddenly they're doing all these different exercises there's no consistency throughout their contest prep so you've no real gauge of of whether or not you're actually maintaining your strength so during a contest prep, I'd probably be more likely to try and keep in at least a few base exercises that you can really say whether or not you were losing strength on. But it does have to be acknowledged that there is a role of leverages for sure. And a lot of people will find that their squat in particular will begin to decrease a lot when they're in contest prep because you just tend to lose the same body proportions. And also even that hip, that that fat at the front of your hip, the fat at the back of your knee and your calf, that's all gone. So suddenly your quote unquote full ROM squat is a much bigger range of motion versus what it was previously. So there are things that you do have to consider and maybe it will take some variation in your exercise selection, but definitely not to the degree to the degree that some people kind of bring in. So you shouldn't be looking to just add loads of exercises, loads of sets, loads of reps, loads of variation. You should be looking to see to see what actually has been working for me so far in my off season. And obviously that requires prior planning. And now what will be changing as I move into my contest prep? Knowing that when you do become get to a very low level of body fat and a low level of energy intake, you're probably going to have to reduce your volume to a degree. It's just something that you're going to have to do because otherwise you're going to be quite under recovered. You're not going to be adapting to your training at all and you're potentially risking injury. And 
it's not necessarily beneficial. So you can use the other tools to continue increasing the energy deficit, but you need to be aware of, of where your actual volume tolerance is, or otherwise you could potentially run into issues. You're a smart boy. Right. So after your contest, so you're, we'll get to like how we would generally tend to like to see someone set up a contest prep and after that but before we get on to that we need to touch on what happens after the show so let's say they did all of the things that we said not to do all the bad things you know that they, they did all those they're like oh yeah i did it. i fucking started my diet 12 weeks out and i had 30 kilos of fat to lose and but i did it i fucking got down so my, my calories were really restrictive my food choices were really restrictive i was on that fucking chicken breast and broccoli diet and but I got to show leanness, you know. I was doing these crazy drop sets in training. I was doing an hour of cardio in the morning. Uh, wasn't tracking the calories that I was burning doing it. I was just, I was just doing an hour. And um, so they, they did, they did all of that, right? Show comes along. They do quite well. They come top five anyway, right? Um, and then the day after, well, actually, the night of it. So there's no. There's no immediate competition on the goal or on the horizon. There's no immediate goal. There's there's no there was never really a thought process in terms of planning what to do after your show. What are we seeing people do wrong after the show? Yeah, I think there are there are two extremes to this, and both are unhelpful. The first one is the obvious one where people just start binging. They have no goal at all, and they completely just YOLO the diet and they gain ridiculous amounts of weight, as in I'm talking like 10 to 20, if not more kilos within a couple of weeks. So they just gain ridiculous amounts of weight. They have no control and they start to get quite depressed as well. Like a lot of people get quite depressed after their show because they've lost this sense of who they were for those 12, like for those 12 weeks in that like, like that's obviously related to how you actually set up. Like if you've completely isolated yourself from your normal life and you've isolated yourself from the foods that you normally eat, then when that contest prep period afterwards, like you're just in this kind of open playing field where you're like, oh Jesus, like I'm a completely different person now again. Like what do I do now? And people just end up binging. They end up, like some people even end up just do, like going out all the time because they were, they were isolated from that for so long and they just end up indulging in basically everything in sight and, and have no control. And then the other side of things is, and we, we'll, we'll expand on these in a minute, but the other side of things is the person who tries to do the, the textbook reverse diet thing. So what they'll do is they'll finish their show and they'll, you know, maybe have a meal that night, but then they start this reverse diet where they add like 50 calorie, 50 to 100 calories a week or like really small amounts of calories, whereas they ended their, sh their show in like a 500 to 1,000 calorie deficit. So they spend these extra weeks trying to very slowly creep up to maintenance. And as a result, they're pro prolonging the hormonal and metabolic like adaptations that have taken place. So they're not actually reversing the adaptations fast enough. And hence they feel more of those negative effects. Um, or otherwise they just end up maybe doing it very short term and hence just completely losing control then and ending up in the position of the other person. So, that reverse dieting approach where you're being too conservative is probably not conservative is probably not helpful either so you probably want to be somewhere in the middle where you're 
getting back to maintenance, like that should be your goal is to get calories straight from wherever you were back to a predicted maintenance. And yes, it's not going to be exactly specific. You're not going to be able to tell straight away what your maintenance is. And even when you go there, you're probably going to get a bit of weight in the short term. But you should be looking to get right there and then begin increasing your calories and gaining a little bit of weight. Like you want to get, you do want, if you've been in true contest shape, you probably do want to gain a few percent body fat to the point where you're back to to where you can train properly, where you feel psychologically healthy. And that could take 12 weeks. Like it might take you, like some people it can take six months to the point where you feel normal again, but you need to be looking at it in terms of post-contest recovery. So looking to get back to maintenance and above and, and, and get your, your health back to a good place as opposed to reversing really slowly, prolonging that or else just completely binging and losing control altogether because both of those extremes have their own negative implications. Yeah, because that's kind of what I would think as well. You see the majority of people doing <clears throat> post-show, they either have that all-out binge and they gain 20, 30 kilos in like t- two weeks. And I'm talking like 50 kilo girls doing that and not just like guys. And like I'm talking like people gaining like like 50% extra on their body weight like almost in two, three weeks. And you're like, okay, well, clearly that's unhealthy. You can see that that's unhealthy. And generally you'll see those people be really, really present on social media leading up to a show or whatever. They're like, oh, every single day they're posting a selfie. Every single day they're like, oh, check in, blah, 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 whatever. And then as soon as the competition is over, a week later, they've just completely disappeared off all social media platforms. Like, you don't even see them out anymore. You know, they're, they're just, they're just in hiding. And like, yeah, you can understand why, because they feel that they're, they've been so restrictive that they have to go all out and binge and eat all of the food all of the time. And again, obviously that's going to lead to increases in body fat, increases in body weight overall. So they end up 20, 30 kilos heavier. And then obviously that that's a negative feedback in itself because like they, they, they know exactly what they would look like when they are lean because they were there two three weeks ago so they, they they know that and they know they have that image in their head and then they also have this persona we'll say that they've created with being within their friends within their social media etc where it's like yeah like i'm the fit person i'm the person that's in shape and then all of a sudden they're not that person anymore so obviously they they can't let anyone see them they can't let anyone know um and they just go into hiding from as a result you know and like it is one of those things where it's essentially an eating disorder that they they give themselves um by being really really restrictive for whatever 12 16 20 weeks and then binging for 12 16 20 weeks afterwards you know um so it is one of those things where it's like oh you do have to, you do see that quite a lot and you do have to be aware of that but again it comes down to how you have set up your your diet going into that but then also how you have set up your your goals going into that like what are you what are you focusing on? like you should have that planned out what are you focusing on after your show is there another show on the horizon you know in a year's time are you going to do that same show again is it just like you want to get back to a healthy level of body fat where it's like yeah cool i actually just enjoy being lean like the goal well the show was just a, a stop point on the way just to be like yeah i've ticked it off the bucket list i just wanted to do something like that and then you're going back to quote unquote normal way of life where you're still staying relatively lean but you're in a more healthy body fat range like you should have all these things planned out before you step on stage it's not just like oh fuck my show's over 
I have nothing planned. You know, like you should know what you're doing post show, you know? Um, and then, like you said, Gary, you see these people that try to hold on to being that lean for too long. Like they, rather than going up to maintenance, and yes, you are going to gain some weight initially if you go up to maintenance, you know, it's going to be whatever, two to three kilos of glycogen and, you know, food stuff in your actual digestive tract. But by virtue of being maintenance, it's the calorie level that allows you to maintain your weight. You know, so people kind of go back like, oh, well, my theoretical maintenance when I started my diet was 2,500 calories. So I'm just going to bump it straight back up to that. And it's like, yeah, you were 20 kilos heavier when you started your diet. So that's not your maintenance anymore. You know, you have to recalculate your maintenance. You have to actually go to your your maintenance, the level of calories that maintains your weight, you know, after the initial, you know, bumping glycogen, bump in food stuff in the digestive tract. You know, so by virtue of being at maintenance, you are not going to gain weight, you know. So it is very self-evident if you are eating at maintenance because you're not going to be gaining any weight after that initial bump, you know. And then, yes, you can, we can argue maybe, yeah, we'll start that uh, reverse diet where we're just slowly adding calories in. That's cool. I know some people do like that approach because it allows them psychologically to be like, okay, well, I'm not going fully headfirst into this bulk or this off season or this lean gaining phase or whatever the fuck you want to call it but i am making steps towards that so we can make an argument for that i think the problem is when people are end their diet and they're in that 500 calorie deficit and then they try to reverse diet and essentially like you said it's just prolong prolonging the diet for 10 12 weeks where it's like you're, you're still in a deficit you're, you're not getting up to maintenance for 12 weeks after your show so of course you look leaner you're in a deficit you're just in less of a deficit than you were in you know and so it it is one of those things where it's like oh like the way people like theoretically it makes sense in terms of some of the adaptations we can argue um you can kind of get rid of some of them with uh, reverse dieting although like personally i would argue against that with like the whole mitochondrial stuff but regardless like we can make that argument and um, that yeah that's going to be better but it, it, you have to go back up to maintenance for that to work you know like it's not oh i'm going to stay below my maintenance and fucking get rid of all this metabolic damage quote unquote which is fucking bullshit um but yeah, you know what I mean? Like you do have to actually bring your calories up to that maintenance level before you start going into this reverse diet, you know? So that's generally what you'll see is people either binging all out or people trying to stay too lean because they don't want to lose the physique that they've gotten. And it's like, yeah, okay, I understand you put a lot of work into this, but it's not exactly a, a healthy physique to maintain year round, you know? And I'm not talking about the person because you will see this as well, where they dieted for their show and they were, realistically they're 12 percent body fat on stage you know and they're like oh man it's not healthy to be at this body fat and you're like you like you you're not you're not down at that like whatever three to five percent body fat even though yeah we'll we'll argue against whether that's actually the fact but you know that like below six percent body fat uh level where you're getting all this hormonal repercussions and people are like oh no 12 percent it's too it's too unsustainable for me and it's like is it unsustainable to be at that because of physiology or is it just psychology that's stopping you from being at that because you know you've dieted too aggressively you've your practices are too aggressive your your adherence to your diet wasn't perfect you know all those other factors that are going into it you know so and then also we should mention as well people 
when they end their diet, when they end the competition after that, training goes back to four days per week. It goes, they just stop their cardio straight away. And then they wonder why they're gaining weight, even though they're at maintenance. And it's like, yeah, you're now you're basing your maintenance off all this extra volume that you were doing to get in shape. And it, you're not doing it anymore. So like, you're kind of fucking yourself over in, in terms of trying to find your maintenance then after it because you've just dropped off like whatever 20,000 calories from your your weekly uh, <laughs> caloric deficit you know like you just automatically boom straight down like your volume goes down your fucking cardio goes down and you're wondering why your weight is going up when it's like this this is exactly what you were using to lose the weight so obviously it makes sense that if you just stop that cold turkey your weight is going to go up, you know? And we actually didn't mention it on like the calorie cycling or the carb cycling, but we should mention it now in terms of all those dietary strategies that actually make it harder to track your progress. Because if you're constantly going up and down in terms of your calories, in terms of your carbohydrates, like your weight is going to change a lot day to day, you know? So like you could have like two to three kilo shifts in your weight day to day from a high carb day to a low carb day, you know? So it makes it a lot harder to actually track your progress over a longer period of time. You know, because you're like, oh, well, am I hitting a, a, a lower weigh-in because I was on a low-calorie day yesterday? Uh, or is it because I'm actually losing fat, you know? So there is that kind of variability day-to-day if you are on uh, a calorie or carbohydrate cycling diet, which, yeah, cool, it actually isn't so hard when you look at things on the bigger and the grander scheme of things like you're actually plotting it out and tracking it or you're just going by oh well generally my lows are this low and as long as i'm seeing my lows get lower we're on track but it does actually make things a little bit harder to track and that is something that you should be aware of if you are implementing those strategies and um, either before before a show or post show you know so I think a lot of problems do come about what, with people actually tracking their progress. And they, they, like this is not like a plug being like, oh, fucking get a coaching from us. We'll fucking fix everything. But I mean, like it actually does behoove people to have a coach to be able to guide them through these things. Because generally what you'll see people do is, oh, I had a coach for the 16 weeks leading up to my show and then I just got rid of them and just went out on my own. It's like the, the post show is arguably more important than the actual prep for the show because you have to set things up to get you back on track, to get you back into a quote unquote healthy uh, diet, like setup and training setup. So you, you, you need that post-show period to be controlled. Like cause your, your hormones, your psychology, everything is going to be telling you to feed, overfeed, eat, eat, eat. So if you don't have someone there, like, yes, you can do it yourself. Definitely. Like I know hundreds, thousands of people have done it themselves where they're able to go, okay, cool. This is just my body telling me this. And realistically, I don't need these extra calories. It's just because I've been restricted for so long. But if you have a coach there saying, you know, like this is the calorie level we need to be at. Don't be binging. Don't be doing this, etc. whatever it is. And, you can actually adhere to that then it's much easier to actually make progress long term because you're going to lie to yourself and go like yeah like my, my maintenance is 3500 when realistically it's it's 3000 but man those 500 extra calories taste great you know so you will see that quite often where people do just drop the coach post show and um, or completely change everything post show and it just makes things a lot harder 
to actually sustain and transition into, I don't know what you want to call it, like quote unquote real uh, life. Yeah, boy, I agree. And I think you made an important point there as well about <clears throat> how a lot of people kind of get down to quote unquote contest shape and realistically, they're nowhere near the actual contest shape that requires them to do a lot of the kind of very slow, conservative, post-show kind of thing where everything has to be calculated. So, you know, a, a lot of people just could do with just dieting longer in the first place. So you do have to kind of keep that in mind that you are, you, you should be thinking of it from the perspective of where did I actually get to as well? Because, you know, when we say that it's important for you to actually gain some body weight post-show, which I feel it is if you've been in true contest condition, like if you were still a few kilos away from true contest condition, if you, let's say you got to the point where you had, you had abs, you had some definition in your quads, but like you didn't have any definition in your glutes or hamstrings or your lower back or anything. It's like, you probably still had a bit to go and you probably don't need to worry about these things, about these kind of post-show practices, gaining weight, etc., quite as much as someone else might. Anyway, is there anything else we should mention before we get on to how we would set things up um, oh, would, hey, <laughs> um, is there anything that you would think we need to mention before we get into how we would set things up? Um, let me think. I think there was one thing. Oh, yeah, I did want to mention as well as a kind of a caveat that a lot of people are probably going to listen to this and be like, wait, they've said they've never competed. And it's like, no, we haven't competed. But like both of us have been in like probably what a lot of people would call contest condition but if we were to compete we'd probably want to lose at least another 40 kilos each so like we've 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 been there in terms of of being lean and doing these things without needing to do a lot of the extremes like last year like when i got down to my leanest point i was like i went to thailand and i maintained that you know i maintained that leanness and actually came back a little bit lighter and was flexible while I was over there and obviously ate the things that I enjoyed and stuff like that while still being mindful of my caloric intake. So it's not like this stuff is impossible because I think uh, like I've gotten this this kickback from from bodybuilders before when we talk about these things where they'll say, oh, you don't get a bodybuilding contest prep is different. Everything you need to be on this meal plan, you need to only eat certain foods and, and they, they'll make kind of these points that Oh, certain things work for normal people, but they don't work in contest prep. Contest prep needs to be different. And I think, again, that's one of those those kind of suffering things that bodybuilders have kind of made up themselves where they think that things need to be different, you know. And, and it's not just myself either. Like, I know that, like, one of my clients who prepped for the physique stage who got very lean, he went on holidays for a week at, like, two or three weeks out. And it was like, you know, he was tracking his calories, tracking his macronutrients. So he just kept that in mind and went on to get stage lean you know and be very happy with the physique he brought so you can be flexible you can do what we're actually saying to do and just because we're not fucking competitive bodybuilders doesn't mean you should just turn around and say oh they don't know what they're talking about yeah that's fair anyway right so setting it up we have someone they're thinking of doing a bodybuilding show i would argue that they should be thinking of prepping, quote-unquote, prepping about a year out from the show. Like, they should be setting things up from about a year out. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree, because you need to have the, quote-unquote, prep 
prep prep for the prep or prep before the prep or pre-prep prep or whatever you want to call it. Like you need to actually be preparing yourself to get to a point where you are now going to do the actual diet. Like you need to set yourself up for the diet. Like if you have no consistency in what you're doing, no idea what training volume you can handle, no idea what exercises even work well for you, no idea what body parts need to be priorities or whatever. And you're just going into this being like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this and, you know, I, I don't really have anything in check, but I'm just going to try and get everything in check. Like realistically, you should be getting to the point where you've had a very consistent block of training. You've brought up your weak body parts. You know, you know what, vol- what, what body parts need, maybe more or less volume, what exercises work. You've, got, you've gotten to the point where you know how to manage your sleep. Like you know how to optimize your sleep quality now. You know how you, how, how you set up your day of eating. So you've got all of these things in check. It's not a case that you just start a contest prep and it's the first time you've prepped all your meals or it's the first time you've had this eating schedule or you know the first time you've tried to get eight hours of sleep per night. Because if you come at it from that and you, and you haven't actually prepared yourself first and you're not, in, you're not in good health, you're not in good routine, you don't know what works or doesn't work for your body, then you're going to have a tougher time. Yeah, I would agree. Anyway, so yeah, they, they need to think of it longer term and yeah, they may need to gain some muscle and uh, to actually be competitive. Um, so it, it, looking at that, that longer term will give them a better opportunity to maximize their training, maximize their diet, maximize their, I don't know what you want to call it, efficiency in the lifestyle in terms of prepping food, sleeping, stress management, etc. All those all those good things, you know? So I would I would be looking to have someone thinking a longer term scale. Like if you're looking to compete in spring shows, like now is the time to be thinking of competing in the spring shows, not in December, you know? Um you, you should be kind of thinking, okay, cool, how can I set up my training? How can I set up my diet? How can I set up everything in terms of my lifestyle to have me peaking for that point in next spring you know next april whenever it is you know and that's what you need to be thinking now this time of year right so maybe it is that you need to gain and okay cool summer's coming up so are you going to slowly gain throughout the the summer or are you going to be oh no i have to get lean for the summer because i got a holiday in august and then that gives me a two-month block to gain some weight and then i need to start dieting again for the show like you have to be thinking longer term and maybe that means some short-term sacrifice like maybe you're going to be a little fatter on your holiday during this summer you know so you do have to take that into account and actually start like thinking on the year scale of your actual training and your actual diet you know so ideally like i would like someone to be in that we'll say as a as a male in that kind of range of i don't know we'll say eight to to sixteen percent body fat before they start gaining would you agree gary i agree so if you're outside that range you're at 25 percent body fat or whatever it is like your initial goal is going to be getting down to a lower body fat level and therefore allowing you to make a more accurate estimation of the amount of muscle you have, the way your muscles look. Maybe you need to bring up some weaker body parts, etc. You know, so you do need to do that first of all. You need to get down to the lower end of that range. You know, so if you're at that 25% body fat, like I would actually spend some time getting down to 8% body fat rather than just going, oh, I got down to 16%, straight back onto a gaining phase. You know, like I, I would look to get you onto the lower end of that initially. So maybe that is the first thing you need to do and you can't spend as much time gaining uh, muscle or, you know, fucking building muscle as someone else, but you do need to be in a, a lean enough position or at least have the 
the ability to get into a lean enough position before you even start thinking about gaining. But let's say you start this off and you're like, yeah, I'm actually relatively lean. I walk around relatively lean. I'm walking around at 12% body fat. Then you can potentially just transition straight into a gaining phase where you are slowly gaining muscle with the view that, you know, about six months out from your show, and, and perhaps periodically throughout your gaining phase, you are doing some kind of mini cuts, mini dieting phases to ensure that body fat isn't getting too out of hand. But let's say you do that. You're like, okay, cool. I'm at 12% body fat or thereabouts and I need to gain some muscle. You know, spending about six months gaining muscle and potentially only getting up to that kind of 16 17% body fat level would be ideal in my perspective you know so you're you're not getting way out of hand and then you have six months to get down from that six percent body fat to the the bodybuilding stage you know uh or sorry 16 percent body fat down to that body body fat level that's required for stage you know and ideally i would like to see some periods of time where you are bringing your calories down perhaps down to maintenance just to kind of level off and get a feel for that before you actually start dieting but i also don't mind if you're doing like a six-month gaining phase and you're like oh i'm actually just going to do a four week of a diet just to tidy up some of this body fat and then go straight back into a gaining phase you know so ideally we've done that six months now we're transitioning now we're linking okay now i need to just drop off some body fat get a little bit better of a an assessment an assessment of where i'm at perhaps you've even been able to extend that out to eight months because you're like yeah actually you know i've kept my body fat in, in check I'm not too far off. I'm only, you started at 8% and you're only up to now 12, 13% body fat. You're like, okay, cool. I'm actually, I'm pretty fucking lean, but I've gained some substantial amount of muscle, you know? Then you need to start thinking about dieting because, you know, you need to start thinking about how different diets affect you, whether you feel better on higher carb, whether you feel better on lower fat, higher fat, whatever it is, you know, you you need to kind of understand that a bit more, how your tolerance to volume goes up or goes down. You know, some people do find that they are more locked in uh, in terms of technique and stuff, in terms of their ability to recover from training and stuff when they are a little bit uh, leaner, you know, they, they, hormonally and stuff, they, they feel better. So, you know, they can train harder, etc. And um, so you do need to do that, perhaps doing a little maintenance phase before that, where you're kind of just solidifying your gains, doing four weeks, eating at maintenance gives you some time to accurately assess whether that is your maintenance level of calories or whether it's actually causing you to lose weight or gain weight, even whatever it is, you need to find that maintenance stay there roughly for four weeks. Then you can go into a dieting phase. And ideally if you're at that kind of 12 to 16% body fat range for a contest prep, you know, that's definitely not a bad place to be at to start a contest prep, like 25% body fat, even at like, you know, 30 weeks out, it's still not as good a body fat percentage to be at starting your contest prep because you do still have a lot to lose. Um, But being in that kind of 12 to 16% body fat range at the start of a diet, you know, even then you can go, okay, cool. Like I have realistically 10% body fat to lose over a 20 week uh, competition. You know, that's not, that's not a huge amount to actually lose. Um, But yeah, I would be looking to have a longer prep because I would rather see you come in early so that we can kind of feed you up a little bit coming into the show rather than you having having you come in late. You know, like it's it's much worse to be like, oh, yeah, like I actually look better two weeks after the show when I tried to reverse diet and I was actually still dieting for, you know, two weeks extra, you know. So I would like to see a prep after it's already been prepped for 
for at least kind of 16 to 20 weeks uh, coming into a show. What are your thoughts on that, Kerry? Yeah, I agree. And I actually really like that strategy as well of, you know, being ready early and feeding up into the show because then you don't have to do these these things that or we're probably not going to talk about in this podcast, but you don't have to do the whole crazy peak week things that people do in an attempt to find some way to make themselves look better because you'll have taken maybe two or three weeks to gradually bring your carbohydrates up and you're already at that point where your muscles are full and you've still got that lean level of body fat so you're not doing these silly things that risk you maybe looking worse you know with a one percent chance of looking better so um i really like that feeding up approach because that also sets you up better for the post diet period as well because you're not just going from being starving and then having the competition to just having no goal because you've already offset maybe some of the adaptations prior um so yeah i'd largely agree with largely agree with you not one hundred thousand percent agree with <laughs> 99 i'm only joking yeah, yeah so i, I kind of like that approach as well where it's like okay good we actually are ready early rather than ready late and even with your dieting phase as well again obviously it's going to be dependent on how high your body fat is but i would like to see someone losing you know 0.5 to 1 percent body ideally body fat but body weight <laughs> per week you know like you're losing that kind of 0.5 to 1 percent of your total body weight per week so if you then go look i'm roughly kind of 16 percent body fat and if i was to do everything optimally and perfectly and you know i didn't run into any issues along the way and my body responded awesomely you know that could essentially be a 10-week prep if you are at that 16 percent body fat you know like it, it could be however i would be looking to go okay cool well i'd actually rather just start you out at 20 weeks out and allow for any fuck-ups any little issues that come along the way because they will come along the way and you will find your body isn't as responsive as you'd like it to be you're gonna have to make little tweaks along the way you know maybe i know there's a death in the family or some shit and you're just like oh stress levels are high you lose your job fucking whatever it is and you know you're not in the same position you were 20 weeks out you know so i would rather have you kind of coming in a bit earlier than a bit later and i would rather see a slower rate of fat loss than a larger weight rate of fat loss however there is the other side to that where you're kind of going oh well 20 weeks is good 30 weeks must be better and you're just losing at this really really slow rate and you're actually just extending the diet way beyond what it needs to be and it's like yeah cool we can make an argument that that's better in terms of fat loss but like realistically if we're looking to disrupt the the hormonal system as little as possible like i don't want to be seeing you dieting for an entire year you know like i'd rather see you quick in and out but not so quick in and out that you're disrupting the hormonal system the opposite way you know so i don't want to see you dieting for so long that you're disrupting the hormonal system and i don't want to see you dieting and losing the same fat for a short period of time because the the magnitude of the deficit is going to cause disruption in the, the hormonal system so you've either got those two things it's either the length of time in essentially for self-imposed starvation uh, uh, being in there in that self-imposed starvation for a long time or being in a larger self-imposed uh, starvation for a shorter period of time like there is that kind of goldilocks period in between those two uh, extremes where it's like actually we're not getting too much of a hormonal disruption whereas where we can actually continue to potentially build some muscle and not run into the the issues that you sometimes see with a self-imposed or non-self-imposed starvation key too easy 
and then you get shredded and you get on stage and you dance around and it's all too easy um are we are we done yeah, I, I, think, I think i think if people listen to that like they could get a good idea of how to diet for a bodybuilding stage however i think it also applies to quote-unquote normal people as well like thinking of that longer scale rather than going oh well i'm just going to diet for fucking 52 weeks because you know whatever because that's essentially what people will do they'll have an event a wedding fucking whatever it is and do all of the exact same things that a bodybuilder would do obviously just the end point is different like they're not getting down to whatever five percent body fat they're getting down to 12 percent and going yeah cool i'm all good and then they binge and blow it up and everything after that you know so if people wanted to read more of how we would set up a dieting phase i believe we have actually written about this if i'm not mistaken gary is there potentially either some sort of group these people could go and view that content or is there potentially some sort of book where people could go and view this content well you could become a member of the triage militia and read the living lean guidebook for free as part of your membership or what you could do is when we put it on site for sale what you can do is purchase the living lean guidebook which will be for sale for pretty cheap to be honest so that's going to be up on site and if you follow us on social media we will be sure to let you know when that is actually up. But also, I am mindful that some people are probably like, oh my God, what the hell? I, th- those guys, just they just lost me with all that stuff. I can't get into my head. I don't know where to start. So if that is you, then we do have spaces open for coaching at the moment as well if you happen to be interested in our coaching services. So you can get in touch um, that way. Paddy posts the podcast. I'm pretty sure the online coaching information is generally in the description, so you can click it under there as well. Um, and also, if, if, if you're listening to this as a prospective competitor, like, and you want to compete and, and you want triage to help you, to coach you, then keep in mind that, like, realistically, this month is probably the last time you have the opportunity to sign up to compete in the October shows because we like to have people for that kind of, you know, if possible, six months before the show um, and longer, ideally, as we said, you know, you'd like to be uh, a year out. But uh, if you're if you feel you're in a good position, you know, you feel you've you've kind of met the prerequisites and you're like, I want to compete. I want guidance. I want you guys to coach me. Then do get in touch this month and we can take you on, discuss your goals, see where you're at, etc. You're a smart boy, Gary. Anyway, you have any final parting words? I know you're nearly finished your glorious placement i also know you are currently well not right now but currently shitting your asshole out i believe shitting my asshole out yeah i was shitting my asshole out fucking gastroenteritis and just if anyone's seen the bristol stool chart i was about a 15 on that um diarrhea well it wasn't wasn't the most fun time but that's gone we're into week six of placement this week out of seven so i'm going to be in bali in less than two weeks so i'm just like it's too easy and i'm going to cork in about 40 minutes so i need to eat my dinner and then i need to gather my stuff and then i need to go so i we're gonna have to oh no i'm going to limerick actually never mind i don't even know where i'm going um so yeah peace love and prosperity to you all right well we will leave you with that 
Um, as per usual, if you want to get in contact with us, you know where to find us. Social medias, fucking, you can email us. The usual hangouts. Any parting words, Gary? Have a great week. Enjoy the sun. Don't be a snowflake. Love you guys. XOXO.